Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast. Just want you guys to be reminded that when you subscribe or leave a review of this podcast, um, maybe you listen Podbean, maybe you listen iTunes, wherever it is, that helps us out. So be sure to subscribe and then maybe drop a comment or a review on this podcast. It helps it out. And I am in the studio with Miss Nikki. How are you, Nikki? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Good. On this dreary day. It is so gross outside. Yes. The day that we're recording this. It is like gloomy, and but we've been spoiled the past like four days. Well, we live in the middle of the country and we have false seasons and we had fake spring. This is true. And so now we're like, oh, not yet. (laughs) And it's rain and gloom and we're all running around in hoodies freezing to death. The kids never know like... It's really hard to dress your kids for school, and our kids still have recess. So yeah. it's like sweatpants, sweatshirt, and then they come out of school in a t-shirt. And I'm like, "Hey, where is your stuff? I got hot." And it's like, mm-hmm. but then if you don't, they're cold. You're right. There's fake seasons in Southeast yeah. Missouri. I remember wondering when the kids like, "Where has that t-shirt been? I've not seen it. Right. And it's been buried in the back there of a backpack go. and smells like who knows what." Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey guys, we are continuing in our sermon series entitled "Memento More: Life, Death, and the Afterlife." If you're listening to this podcast, you have probably been listening in to know where we've gone in this series. How this began. Just a reminder, you can always go back to our website, listen to all past sermons. My sermon notes are even there if you scroll down to help you out. Just under the picture of him. Yep. And so this uh, Sunday, when I was preparing this week, I realized hey, there is no way this has got to be like a two-part. Right. I've got to intro- I've got to talk about some stuff, introduce, fly over the parable, and then when we get into it this coming Sunday, deal with the details, really, of the parable. But each week we're asking a fundamental question. So we have asked, where did death come from? And then this week we asked, what happens after we die? Yeah. Massive question. Huge. Huge. (laughs) And if you are listening to this for the very first time and you found us on a podcast or, you know, wherever you listen, we're Spotify people because Android for life. There you go. Um, But if this is, go back and listen. Please go back and listen. It is a heavy topic. It is a hard topic, but it is so very worth it. Yeah. And what happens after we die is huge. Yep. Well, I, I read the stats. I said that when you type it into Google, you get two billion six hundred and forty million results. Yeah. Amazon over a thousand books. I mean, there's all types of stuff. There's a popular guy by the name of Raymond Moody who coined the phrase near death experiences. And he wrote this book, Life After Life, which is like hundreds of patients that he's interviewed. And what's really, really interesting is that out of all everybody can get dwindled down to like five key things that they've all seen or experienced. Mm. And he's a clinical psychologist, so he's not even doing the like 23 minutes in hell or like anything like that. He is just scientific data. But it's really interesting. There's always a bright light Mm -hmm. and there's all these major categories. And then there's a subcategory of... Another group of common people, they were less than, but who experienced in a near-death experience something horrible. And they all, too, have like three or four categories. Commonalities between Commonalities between Hmm. all of them. And it's, yeah, anyway, it's just really interesting. And I said all that to say... There is a gazillion answers to this question oh, out there. And it's a it's oh what happens after we die? Right. Well, it there's a lot of things that happen after we die depending on how you look at it. Sure. If you look at it from a practical 
oh, well, they've passed away. We've got to, the nursing staff, say it's in a hospital. They have to get the body prepared for the funeral home. The funeral director has things. I mean, everybody has a checklist. This we took from the text of Luke, and it was Jesus telling the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We are in Luke 16. Yeah. And before we get into that, yeah. ever had a near-death experience, Jason? I've never, I've never had a brush. I mean, I should probably not say this, but like I've probably been close to dying in college and partying, and right. I didn't know it. But no, I've never, never had, had the, a brush. The white with, lights with, never. No, with no. death or anything like that. I yeah, haven't, I haven't either. I mean, yeah. I've been in a car accident and sure have had you know literally been unconscious, but never anything. Did things? get real slow or fast or um, like what happened? Neither. Okay. So in my mind, and I know now, and we are many years removed from my car accident and me being unconscious and had some broken bones and some mm. things. Yeah. My nose, this is not Dude. the original shape. Wow. Um, Free nose job. It, well, it, no, <laughs> right. I should have. I should have. Right. I didn't. Um, in my head though, I lost control of my car on a gravel road and okay. hit a stump and then yeah. landed and it was bad. In my head, I kind of dukes a hazard, swerved into the driveway, backed out. And I remember like in my brain, I could see myself standing in the gravel road, watching my car go up over the hill. Interesting. Now what actually happened was the horn woke me up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. This was an old car. I'm older than everybody else pretty (laughs) much. And we didn't have an airbag in it. And I ended up having to go to a neighbor's house to call my parents to come get me. I was 16. It's like a movie. Oh, it was bizarre. Wow. I've always heard of people in a moment like that, they either don't recall anything because their body blocks it out or they say it was like slow motion that they could see it all happen. Mine was altered. Now, once I came to and knew things, I was very like hyper aware of, oh no, I'm here. I should be there. This is not good. So you didn't sustain any major head trauma after? Um, I had a concussion. I had bruised ribs. I had broken my nose. I had a cracked eye socket. I got to, I got to spend a couple days in the super expensive hotel. Yes. But was fine. Like nothing, nothing permanent, no surgeries. Like it was, it was good. That's intense. Um, but when it comes to those near-death experiences, you know. It's interesting, it's man. It's wild how people do process. It is. Um, and back into people processing death, we are going to get into this parable, and I'm going to read. I may not read all of it. I might. You never know. Yeah, let's just do all of okay, it. Okay, let's do all of it. So we're starting in Luke 16. I'm starting in verse 19, rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered in sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and have, and the prophets led them, oh, led them to here. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Wow. It's a lot. It's intense, man. It's a lot. And the reason why, like, studying the passage is, and we discussed this, but this is a parable 
some scholars say, and I, I think it is a parable, but what's interesting is that Lazarus has a name, mm-hmm. and this is the only parable in all four Gospels that Jesus gives a person a name. Well, and we have to remember, this is Jesus speaking. Yeah, absolutely. This is... And so the anguish and, and, and all of that. So there's just a lot here, and one of the things that, that I kind of said up front was, I can't make this say what it doesn't say. Mm. And so I I do think there's some things that we can we can pull from and say Jesus is teaching us this principle right. and, and that's what we get into. One of the things I can't say with certainty is all, everything is going to be just like this Mm. because that's not the purpose of the parable, but Jesus is teaching us principles in light of that. And so, yeah, man, what happens to us after we die? What happens after us after we die? Well, we see that the rich man had everything. And I loved, I got tickled when listening to the sermon, clothed in purple and in fine linen. Yes, ballin'. Yeah, I mean, that would be, he had all the things. He had all the things. All the things. I talked about purple being, back then, you would take your clothes to a baptizer, like, and so the name like John the Baptizer wasn't that crazy. They would dunk your clothes and die for a wedding, for a funeral, for something like that. Special occasion, not everyday wear. And purple was by far the hardest color to get. And so... There's just a ton of these beautiful details that mm-hmm. Jesus is really showing us. Fine linen, I said on Sunday, that means that his whitey tidies were name brand. So that's that's not just the outer garment, that's his underwear. And he's meaning not name brand like Hanes from Walmart. No, no, You're no. talking like yes. Chanel yes. and Gucci. <laughs> yes, and then he feasts sumptuously every day. And then he has a house that has a gate, and at his gate... So literally in one verse, verse 19 and the beginning of verse 20, we get a pretty massive description of this rich man. And when he dies, he gets buried. And a formal burial back then and having like a burial ground would have been, again, a sign and symbol of, of being wealthy in that sense. So and, and a lot of descriptions. And it wasn't a culture of wealth. I mean, right. it wasn't like they lived um, next door to, you know, the Jeff Bezos and the Bill Gates and the Warren Buffetts of the world. This man was those people. Absolutely. And he was set apart differently from his community because when the dogs... Yes. In comparison, so you have the ultimate wealth to where you're not even allowed to throw the scraps out. Yeah, back then I said Sunday that back then... A symbol of status was that you didn't um, eat all of the food that was kind of provided for you. That's why in like in old kings movies, they sit in front of like a feast. Yeah. Well, the purpose of that is one, he can eat whatever he wants, but two, he's not going to eat everything, but he gets it prepared for him, and you would throw it out, and nobody could eat of it. And and what Lazarus is saying here is, is I'm just trying to eat scraps, right? Man, scraps from the table. Yeah. Right. Yes. It's a compare and contrast. It's it's really really interesting. And when it comes to the specific kind of this question, you know, I kind of said Sunday, and I know we're going to get into the other answers, but really, Nikki, like the the Bible gives us just a few glimpses yeah. to answer the question, what happens the moment or right after we die? There's not a lot of content in the Bible. This parable is the most condensed that we have in all of the Bible as to what happens. Well, and so that's when we kind of looked at it. And and it's such a great thing because we have we know the, their financial status. Sure. We know that Lazarus was ill. Yep. I mean, if the dogs come and licked your sores, that means the people were not going to be around you. Right. I mean, yes. if you've been around like mangy dogs that are just running rampant, this isn't like you're letting your pet Fifi no, no. come, you know, yes. It, yes. it's much bigger. Yeah. And in verse 14, he, he tells us, Luke gives us an insight. He says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all of these things that Jesus was teaching. And then Jesus continues to teach. So at the surface, the real big thrust is, is that Jesus is saying, 
you handle money like this in God's kingdom. You don't handle it like this, which is the religious elite, which would have been shocking. And then I think Jesus, I think this is no less than a parable, but I think it could be more than a parable. Well, you but know? he's speaking to people who knew scripture, and if yep. he wasn't, he would have not mentioned Abraham because right. he, the rich man calls out Lazarus, Abraham ushers Lazarus. Yes. Like that is such a beautiful... It's a big deal, man. Oh, it's so... It's a big deal. So we started out the sermon and, and asked, what happens after we die? And we just kind of took some time of going through some popular, maybe philosophical answers. Because death happens to everyone. And, and I love that you said no matter what people group. Yep. Because it doesn't matter. Like we're here in the United States and everybody we know. But, you know, when it comes to industrialized countries or yes. even small communities, there's islands, I'm sure, that we have people that we've not even heard of yet. Yep, and, but they'll have some sort of story or yeah. origin story about how death entered and what happens when mm -hmm. people die because it's real and universal. Absolutely. No so doubt. everybody dies. So let's get into these six popular concepts of death. Yeah. And I want you to kind of expand on them a little bit more than maybe you had time to Sunday. Sure. So we get into naturalism. Yep, the first one. Yeah, which is just, here you are. <laughs> yeah, so basically naturalism is exactly what it sounds like. Um, the earth... And everything um, is in this process, and it's all natural. So, you know, a, as a seed falls to the ground and dies and blooms, it's just what happens. And there's not really any giant meaning behind any of that or anything. So naturalism would say when you die, you become fertilizer. Yeah. And that, that is what it is. And there's I, no soul, no spirit care, just... Right. Yeah. Your body decomposes. And, and my challenge to that would be, A, then then what's the point at life? Right. Why are we as human beings so troubled with our conscience and eternity? If naturalism is true and everything is just biological, mechanical, why do we as human beings, why are we so separate? from the rest of creation. Right. Why mm -hmm. do we have desires, longings, all of these things? And if that's true, then what's the point of life? Why do good? Why, it wouldn't matter. Why live a certain way? Why what and then if they say well to give back or good then it's just like I it's just very faulty. It's just a very faulty view to me. And I would say a counter argument to that is what if one of the evidences that there is life after death is that there's so many answers to the question, is there life after death? Mm -hmm. So like this is apologetics. You know, yeah. a, a guy would say a very tangible argument that God exists is that there's so many religions that try to prove that God exists. Right. So that, I mean, that's a credible, it, you're talking... Yeah. Billions of people in light of that. So that's sort of naturalism. You die, you become worm food. Nothing really has a point to it. It, it was very sad. Like I'm like, yeah, oh, it like is. It's just like it, like I would like I would challenge a naturalist to go to St. Jude. Right. Be around a child. Yeah, and and just go. Oh, okay, so this is just what. Why are we giving hope here? Why are we? Why can't you just say, hey, you're. You're gonna, you're ten, and you're gonna die of cancer. Like, yeah, man. You know those guys live in a box for sure. Okay, and, and like I said, that to me, the naturalist I think probably was one of the hardest ones for me. Yeah. Like, it just broke my heart to sure. think that. And then we get into universalism. Yeah, so universalism is basically like it sounds that somehow in the end, almost pretty much everybody goes to heaven except for like the Adolf Hitlers or people like that. And the reason would be, and they would kind of twist some scripture that every knee shall bow, mm -hmm. every tongue shall confess. Paul sometimes uses the word through one man, sin entered the world and through one man, all are justified. And so they kind of twist some stuff and basically say that heaven is going to be way more populated than hell. And can I just say this? I would like for universalism to be true. Oh, I would. I can see that. That's I'm, a valid point. I mean, the doctrine is very appealing that 
basically it's all going to turn out for good and everybody's going to go to heaven. I think the problem with that is is a lot of the Bible and primarily Jesus's teaching. Yeah. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. And just in case you didn't think he was being clear, he says, and few find it. Yeah. And then the Apostle Paul is like, strive, keep pressing on. There's all of this. I also believe that universalism is the origin, one of the original lies because the enemy says, you will not die mm. if you eat of the tree. God's lying to you. You will not die. And there's a ton of mixture of, of that universalism that's in there. And those, those half-truths are very dangerous, and that's where oh, this yeah. all comes in because when you half-truths are terrifying. Yes. We get into reincarnation, yeah, which, which is exhausting. Yeah, and, and it's really popular in a lot of other cultures, and I even mentioned Disney um, in Canto. It's got some reincarnation vibes, guys. Yeah, it does. And so you just need to be aware of that kind of stuff. It's Reincarnation has a lot of um, the worship of earth and creation, and I would venture to say that that is largely what Paul says in Romans 1 as an evidence of sin, that we worship creation rather than creator. But reincarnation is at its essence a works-based salvation, that when you die, you come back as something else or someone else or something, and eventually you work your way up, and in different religions, you can work your way to whatever that God is. And the question in that is, is is what's the standard for good enough? And what is it that you have to do in order to inherit sort of eternal life on a lot of that? And so obviously the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. And I think that, man, there's a there's a large part of that that I think is is greatly disproven. So. I, I just, I, I would work myself silly. <laughs> I would just work myself right? silly trying to be better, do better. It's not enough. Right. Um, and then we get into annihilation. Yeah. So one of the things I probably should have said on Sunday is two of these, annihilationism and soul sleep, mm. can actually fly under the banner of Christianity. And and here's what I mean by this. So there's essentials, there's open-handed issues, and there's close-handed issues. So like close-handed issues is, was Jesus sinless? Yep. yep. You know, did he rise from the dead? Yep. Those things. What's open-handed is, um, or for example, close-handed, Jesus is coming back. We believe that. What's open-handed? How? How's he coming back? Right. There's a lot of different views on that. So annihilationism is actually held by some of my favorite guys, C.S. Lewis, John Stott. A lot of these guys um, believe that, which is essentially, and we'll get into this in a minute, but that when you die, you don't go to the final new heaven and new earth. And we're going to talk about this Sunday, like streets of gold and right. all of that stuff. That's the end of time. That's when God makes all things new. When you die right now, you either go to Jesus or you're separated from Jesus. And the story tells us either Hades or paradise is what Jesus told the thief on the cross, mm -hmm. right? And so what they would say is when Jesus comes back and makes all things new and there's the resurrection of the dead, that God essentially annihilates evil and it doesn't exist anymore. Um, I, th I don't believe that, even though John Stott and C.S. Lewis are a lot smarter than me, primarily because of Jesus's words and the aspects in this parable that the eternality of the destination and their consciousness seems to be pretty evident in this parable, mm -hmm. that where they're at is fixed forever, and they're conscious where they're at as well. So and, that's annihilationism. Okay, and then we get into... And let's go ahead and hit soul sleep since you touched on Yeah, that. sure, sure. And that's a pause. Yeah, sure. So soul sleep is a pause, is a really long pause that basically when a believer dies that their consciousness is with God, and it's just that. It's asleep. And then that consciousness is reunited with the body at the resurrection of the dead. 
again, the problem I think with that, totally Jason's opinion here, John 14, I go and prepare a place for you. Mm -hmm. You will be with me. And then the thief on the cross, you will be with me today in paradise. And there's a number of hints in the rest of the New Testament to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so Paul is saying, I want to be with Jesus. That doesn't sound great to just not exist or have a long pause. Right. And and be I think you are consciously somewhere in light of that. So So where soul sleep is waiting until final judgment to be with Jesus. Purgatory is kind of almost the opposite of that. Yeah, for sure. So purgatory obviously made very popular in the Roman Catholic Church. And um guys, just to be honest with you, like in with the Protestant Reformation, I would have you read like Martin Luther who who grew up in that and what his thoughts are on purgatory, which are very strong. It's not mentioned um, anywhere in Scripture. And then really in the church, people would pay what's called indulgences. So they would give money to the church, specifically donated for their loved ones in purgatory. And the priests and the church would pray for those loved ones in order for them to reach a more purified state and then they would ascend into heaven. I think there's a number of problems with that. Number one, when Jesus died on the cross, he says, it is finished. Mm -hmm. So it's done. The payment for sin is done, guys. What we get confused is sin has been dealt with. Death still reigns. Yes. But the power of sin has been defeated. And so there's, we don't pay for, for anything else. If we are saved by grace, then we end in grace. It starts in grace, it's sustained by grace, and it ends in grace. And so those are kind of the prim- primarily the predominant views of that. And um, again, I think there's some error in them, in, in my personal opinion. I mean, apart from the other two, the other ones are heresy, like that we would reject right. as a church. But when it comes to annihilation and soul sleep, there's a lot of debate over those things. But then we kind of get into the thrust of the text. Yeah. So, Well, and, and the debate, let's pause there for a second, because one thing that has come out of this sermon series, I was told last week in my community group, Nikki, it's like you're really vibing with this. And I'm like, I don't think I'm really vibing th- with the whole conversation about death. <laughs> I am absolutely loving the conversations Mm, we are having about death because it is forcing people to, whether they're wanting to agree with you, argue with you. And I'm one of those people who have done that before in church that I'm speaking to myself. I had a lady come up to me afterwards and she was like, I still believe in soul sleep. You didn't convince me. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that's fine. Okay, and, great. And, but you're you're honestly saying, okay, here's what the scripture tells us. Yeah, this is my thought and my opinion. I feel like it. Speaking to my heart, scripture says X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I'm reading it on these things. I'm not a hundred percent sold because the Bible doesn't give enough information. And and that's what I'm probably lacking the most about the conversation is people are realizing either how hallmark or 23 Minutes in Heaven, or other stuff has crept into the church, and it's almost like, thus saith the Lord. Like, well, you know, the Bible says, no, it doesn't. That's actually nowhere in the Bible. And so when we get these glimpses, we do need to be careful and check Scripture with Scripture, which which is basically what we do. We kind of pulled three key principles out of the parable, and then I showed where those principles are also developed in the rest of scripture. Let's get into those. So the body expires and is buried. Yeah. So when you look at verses 21 and 22, both of them die Mm -hmm. and something happens to their body. Now it's inferred that the um, Lazarus obviously didn't get a burial because he was poor. So super sad, like basically your body would go in the dump essentially like just dumped away but Lazarus gets a burial and and we have to start here because your brain stops firing neurons your heart stops pumping blood your lungs no longer breathe and push in and out oxygen 
and your body expires. And the reason why that's so important is because what we said the very first week is that death is the result of disobedience. Mm -hmm. And so our body is decaying. Everything is fractured and broken. And even in Ecclesiastes, it says, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. That's a very fundamental verse, by the way, that's written by Solomon, who is in the Bible considered outside of Jesus the wisest man who's ever lived. So anything he says, probably a big deal. And Solomon says, your body expires, it gets buried, it returns to dust, just like God said it would in Genesis Mm 3.19, and then your spirit goes back to God. So that's the first one. That's the Well, even doctors will say when the heart, you know, when a baby is growing in a mother's womb, they don't know what starts the heart, but the heart starts. It does. Um, We know. (laughs) Amen. Um, And then we get into the soul lives on after death. Yeah, so in verse 22, we see that Lazarus now, there's a lot of scholars call this parable the great reversal because the rich man has everything in life Mm -hmm. and nothing in death. Lazarus has nothing in life and everything in death. So when Lazarus dies, he has the greatest pallbearers known in history, which are angels, which is absolutely incredible. And they take him to Abraham's side, which is... I'll get into that a lot this week, is actually not a specific place. We just know that Abraham's with God. Right. So the Jews would have said, is if anybody's with God, it's Abraham. It, so to be by Abraham means that Abraham's by God is, is what that looks like. Kids side um, kiddos are learning about Abraham and how he is faithful yeah, and Yeah, Piper obedient. was singing Father Abraham, yes. which is great. Yes. This is really, really cool. And then the rich man obviously is in Hades, the, the place of the dead. But it's there's a consciousness that's there. So their soul is living on, just like Ecclesiastes says. And then the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, so we are always of good courage, and we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So in the old King James, I said, is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So your body is buried, but your soul, the eternal, immaterial part of you, goes to either be with God or in the place of torment. Separate from God. Yeah. Everyone will give an account for their life. And you pulled from Hebrews there. Yeah, Hebrews 9, 27. For just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And that's what is said in the parable in verse 25. He says, but you got good things Mm -hmm. in your life, or what you thought were good things in your life. And then Lazarus is getting rewarded with eternal things. And by the way, this parable is very vague. There's not, so a lot of people think that the rich man was a religious leader because he says, Father Abraham, and and Abraham refers to him as a son. And then um, there's no repentance, there's no faith. So this is Jesus just kind of showing us big principle stuff here. This isn't, that's why we're pulling from the rest um, of scripture. So those were kind of the three main things. The body expires and is buried. I even had a stick figure picture about this on Sunday. The soul lives on after death, and then everyone gives an account um, for their life. And I think those three practices are absolutely necessary. And they kind of start off with some of the questions we've had. Yeah. Um. So we'll just kind of get into a little bit of that. And I think you kind of answered this one already, but um, when discussing life after death and when our body is buried, is there any moment of where my soul might be waiting to go on to heaven? So I think they're leaning more toward that soul sleep thing where we could read this and it says, angels, am I equal to Lazarus is what they're kind of asking. 
That, um, that's one of those that I, I, I don't know. There's right. a vagueness there. I know some um, nurses that work for um, hospice who open windows. Yeah. You know, and, and so I don't know about that. I know Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, you did you did well because you even quoted um, Wilbur Smith from the Doctrine of Heaven. Yeah, for and sure. And you said, however abundant the scripture data might be regarding the resurrection of believers and heir to life in heaven, the state of the soul between death and resurrection is rarely referred to in the Bible. Yes, and it, yeah, that's it. It's, there's just not enough information there. So, so I would say I don't know, but I do think if, it, there's some clues in Second Corinthians five, and Paul seems to be very eager to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in the language there's an urgency, and that when I pass from this life, I'm immediately in the presence of Jesus. Is is what it appears to be. Um, other than that, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I appreciate being led by a pastor who's willing to say. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I really yeah, do. Well, um, I'm thankful for you in that because it, it's not not everything is for us to know. And, God's timing is perfect, not man's. And and the more that I meditated on why is there ambiguity in the scripture is because a God didn't want us to know for some reason. So in Deuteronomy, it says the secret things belong to the Lord, mm-hmm. and. And, and I think it's because the emphasis is placed on the resurrection of the body. That's, the, that's what we're all hoping for. That's the Jesus was raised to give us a preview of what's to come and the new heaven and the new earth. In between that time is really not a major concern in right. the scriptures. And so there's, there doesn't need to be any great detail given because you know how we are. If the Bible mentions anything, humanity is like, I mean, we latch mm-hmm. onto that, build doctrines on it, and all kinds of stuff. So who knows? There, if the Bible talked more about the state of the soul between death and resurrection, there'd probably be a whole other religion or something, oh. you know, re- pertaining to that. I think you're right. I think yes. you're absolutely right. There, it would yes. be very difficult. Um, so another one of the questions, um, and we were talking about, you know, the. How our life here affects things. And you got into, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, so let me pause. You got into the Westminster Confession of Faith. So speak into that a little bit more. Some people I know had never heard of that before. Yeah, sure, sure. And and by the way, I don't agree, and I said that Sunday, I don't Mm -hmm. agree with everything in the Westminster Confession of Faith. But one of the things I think is important is when we get into ambiguity and some areas that aren't that clear, Number one, what I did show was we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And I think if you read the Bible, um, I have issues with people who are like, well, I don't, you absolutely have to dig in and do some research. Yes. So what we did is we just took Jesus's parable, pulled principles, and said, where else are those principles shown at? So I think that was important. Secondly, um, the book of 1 Peter says that Scripture is not given for private interpretation. Mm-hmm. So we don't just, me and my Bible, that actually doesn't work. No. And because the spirit that wrote it will reveal it, and the spirit lives in all of us. And historically, for us as Christians today in 2022, we have thousands of years of church history that is really important for us to go, okay, here's what I think Scripture is saying. I've, I've, I've sought out other scholars but what has the the big C church as a whole said about something like this over the years? And, and basically, to, to say it in a more succinct way, the Westminster Confession of Faith um, was put together in 1646. It was actually used to catechize small children. So there's a question and answer. Somebody asks a question, and then you state the answer. And it's, what is the state of man after death and, and of the resurrection of the dead? And it says, the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, I like that they said that, mm-hmm. having an immortal substance, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. 
and the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. Crystal clear. Crystal clear. I mean, that's what what we did is we walked through that in scripture first, mm-hmm. and then we looked at what the Big C Church has said in a whole over all of that. And it's it's there. It's in black and white. Or if your Bible right types Jesus in red, then it's in red. And this is where we stopped. Mm-hmm. And this is where when I was preparing and doing that, I stopped and kind of walked around the church property and listened to some worship music because. I felt very informationally. Yeah. And what I mean by that was I felt like Google. Yeah, you were just throwing all the information at the people. Just doing all of that. And I was reminded from Francis Schaeffer's biography. Uh, he's a great theologian. Um, God is not silent. Uh, the evangelical disaster. I mean, there's all of these books that he's written. But he was a pastor and minister during like the 60s. I'm talking civil rights. I'm mm. talking... Uh, Vietnam, women's lives, all of it. I'm talking all of it. And he was a champion for the faith and he would go to these universities and compete with the best of them. But he became so disillusioned with how church, how the church had got in bed with politics Mm. and to see what had taken place. And so he almost quit, but instead of quitting, he went off to Switzerland to a place that he and his wife called Labrie, which means a shelter. And basically, they invited anybody who wanted to restore their soul and go on a journey and a pilgrimage. They would come stay at their house for months, sometimes a year or two at a time, Mm -hmm. and train under him. And there's a story told that one night, his house was full. He had college students, seminary students, and they were at the table after dinner debating and talking um, about big doctrines, about predestination, eternal life, all of this. And man, the college and seminary students and then the hippies and everybody was going back and forth and it was getting intense. And then finally, somebody turned and said, Dr. Schaefer, what what do you say? And he had his head down at the end of the table. And when he raised his head, he had big tears flowing down his face. And it symbolized these students were talking theology and information as if it lived in a book. And what Francis's heartbeat was, was people and souls and real destinies. And so what we said Sunday was, this isn't about doctrines. It's about destinies. Right. This is very real information that concerns you and I and everybody that's listening. And so I think what God does is God draws us in with a selfish sort of question, like, hey, I want to know what happens after we die. And like we get the information that we wanted, and then God kind of turns it and goes, but but this affects you as well. And so the big idea that we said was death is certain, but your eternal destination is a choice. And I think we as humans want to think about how we live our life, we're in control, we make Mm. these choices, we do these things, and we don't think beyond our death here. We don't think eternally. Yes. Our our vision is very limited. Yeah. And that's so sad and heartbreaking. For sure. Because it's not how we were created. No, and and something I'm going to say this Sunday is eternal life starts now. Yeah. This is not a get out of hell ticket and none of this really matters until I die and then I get... No, it starts now. That's why the purpose of the parable is what you do in your life now is affected for all of eternity in that. And your eternal destiny is a choice in that sense. Okay, so that comes in with another question because I love that we, we do have choices. Yeah. God's given us free will. For sure. Okay, Jason mentioned in the text that Jesus tells us that what we do in this life affects our eternal life after death. How do we tie that in to our salvation and our sanctification? Mm, It's good. It's a good question. Uh, Explain sanctification for those that don't know Yeah, sure. So sanctification is the process of being made like Jesus. 
So process. The, yep, process. Keyword. Um, yeah. uh, and it's done through the power. It's done through the power of the Holy Spirit and our partnership with God. We have to agree. We have to submit. It is a partnership. God is molding us and doing all of that. And some clay is harder than other clay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah, buddy. when it comes to this, um, there, the Bible talks a lot about kind of like rewards in heaven, okay? And so I need to be careful here, but basically there are two judgments. The first judgment is what's known as um, the Bema seat, okay? Now, this is the this is the good judgment. The, the word Bema actually comes from the Greek games, which is the giving out of awards. Okay. So, so think of Olympics, when yep. they get their thing and they stand on the podium, woohoo. We know that God is going to do that to his people mm-hmm. and, and give rewards on that. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And then there's the final judgment, which is like separate the sheep from the goats and like really, really big deal stuff. Oftentimes what gets confused with this is, well, if I'm saved by grace and I get rewarded in heaven, that sounds like a works-based right. thing. Okay, And I can understand where it would appear that way. But the reality is, is we are saved by grace, we are sustained by grace, and we enter eternal glory by grace, Right. okay? But we are also made for good works. But those good works are Jesus in us. Yes. So they're not even your works, okay? Now, you do submit, you do obey, there is a partnership with God. But when we think about rewards, the problem is, is we compare that with temporal rewards now. Exactly. And so we think of all of these mansions and this, that, and the other. The reality is, is in 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul says this, the only thing that's eternal is what's built on the foundation of Christ. So the rewards are basically, I've heard a preacher say it this way, a continuation of the story that started on earth. So think about people who have given their life to live in mud huts, to teach these people English and the Bible and this, that, and the other. What Jesus says is they are the least on earth. Mm -hmm. They are servants. The meek. The meek, and they will inherit the earth. Mm -hmm. Great is their reward. Well, what's he saying? He's reversing it. He's going, some of you are living for joy in this life now, and guess what? You'll get it. You'll get it, yeah. And and it is not even a mist. It is not even the dew on the grass. That's how short it is. There's some people who are living in suffering and poverty for my name's sake, and their reward is going to be great in heaven. I want to end with this one story. It makes me almost cry every time I tell it. So George Whitfield and John Wesley were like best friends. Mm-hmm. They were completely different in their doctrine. George Whitfield was a staunch Calvinist. John Wesley was an Arminian. He founded Methodism, okay? George Whitfield, big into Presbyterianism and all of that stuff. They debated, they did all of this, but one thing that they both were is they were soul winners and evangelists. They preached to tens of thousands of people, went all across. I mean, like, I can't believe that our kids in American history don't learn about John Wesley and George Whitfield. Mm. Th- that is that is an atrocity to American history. I mean, Benjamin Franklin, I'm going to get on a sidetrack here, <laughs> but somebody asked George Whitfield, will John Wesley be in heaven? Ooh. Because of his doctrine was right. different. They thought different. Mm-hmm. And George Whitfield said, I don't know if I will see John Wesley in heaven. And everybody just gasped. And then he said this, because he will be so close to the throne that I don't Mm. think I'll be able to see him. What a beautiful testament to friendship. And what he's saying is, I love that man. And that man is doing the work of God. And what his reward is, is his reward. And I think it's probably going to be greater than mine. And so I love that question. It's a great question. We'll get into a little bit more of that this week as we kind of continue into the part two. And we talk more about location and the descriptions of the locations in those places and stuff. And when you turn this into a two-part, and I love that you did because there were some beautiful things that happened at 
at church in the building in yeah. the room. Um, we've got some new people who are yeah, new man. to the faith. Yeah, it would be a, it would be such a you know uh, I would I would be so remorseful and it would be such um, a grievance to not offer the gospel, yeah. the good news. I mean, the big idea was is that your destiny is a choice, yeah, and that we can know. And one of the things that we're going to find out is that hell is avoidable. Absolutely. I mean, goodness gracious. And so that is our heartbeat at Westside, is to see those far from God come close to God through the power of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the Word. And so we had a wonderful response time of people responding to the gospel. And it's God's... Man, I needed Sunday because I love the old gospel. I love the message. I love the Billy Graham, the George Whitfield. I love the gospel and Sunday, I was just reminded that that it works. Yeah, that that's where the power lies in light it, of that. It's not. We tend to short sight it. Yes, and we're always. focusing on death, and yep. that is a big deal. But it's not. It's not something we can. If we choose Jesus, and that's Amen. what we had five people do. They chose Jesus. Yes that they now can build and they are beginning that process of sanctification to learn, to to grow yes. and to see who they are in Christ, which is yes. what we're supposed to do. Beautiful. I um, love it. I love it. It's good stuff. So please, I know there's probably a ton of questions. We're going to get into descriptions of locations and stuff this Sunday, and there will be even more questions, which is fantastic. Oh, I've but, got a ton. Yes, it's going to be interesting. But please send those in, guys, info at westsidepb.org. Nikki, you got anything in closing for us? I think we are just super excited. And guys, I know this is a heavy topic, and sure. we're going into this heavy topic because we are also getting closer to the celebration of Easter. Amen. The tomb was empty. Yes, and and the goal has been that I almost wanted the the series to be unbearable. Yeah. Like the last two weeks, like, ugh, do we have to keep, and then boom, to hit Easter because we said Jesus is not an answer if death is not a problem. And the conversations coming out of this are beautiful. Yes, absolutely, guys. Hey, listen, if you want any more information about us as a church, visit westsidepb.org. We have got a ton of information on there about Easter at the Rogers. That's right, April 17th at 10 a.m., downtown Popper Bluff. Westside has taken over the Rogers. We have an event Facebook page that will answer all of your questions. So you can go on Facebook, check it out. You can go to our website. We've got Easter invite cards. You can be passing those out. We are going to be channeling this news and sharing this good news as much as we can because Easter is a big deal and we party hard at Easter. We do. We're it's talking confetti cannons, concession, I mean, it's tables, free stuff. It's going to be incredible. Kids are going to be running in the aisles of the Rogers <laughs> Theater. Like, I love they let it. me be in charge of kids, guys. It's a I love party. It. I love it. Hey, guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening in. And again, our goal and our mission at Westside is that the point of our church is that we would point to Jesus. Always. It's all about Jesus. We love you guys. Blessings. Blessings.